I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring and when we capitalize, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state 
and every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of our children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. On behalf of the Norfolk City Council, I want to welcome you to our annual observance of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. I would now ask you to rise for the national anthem that will be led by the Norview High School Varsity Singers. Thank you. Before, I, uh, before we move any further, I'd like to acknowledge some special guests who were with us up here on the stage. We have the Vice Mayor Anthony Burford, Mr. Burford. We have newly elected Councilwoman Angela Williams, Angela. We have the Chairman of the Norfolk School Board, Dr. Kirk Houston. Goodness. Okay. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Dr. Kirk Houston. Okay. All right, okay. The superintendent Rick Dr. Rick Bentley. Dr. Bentley. And we've asked um, Father Joseph Green, the former Vice Mayor of the City of Norfolk, Rector of Episcopal, Grace Episcopal Church, to join us. Thank you. This year marks the 25th anniversary since the nation began pausing on the third Monday of January to reflect on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. That milestone gives today's event a special significance. Dr. King was one of our nation's great leaders. His ideals and the justness of the movement he led are given voice through his speeches and writings. Dr. King was passionate about education and once said, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of education. And so this year we have elected to shape our observance around the theme of education. Just moments ago, we heard Dr. King say, today we'll go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. For the times we live in today, I can think of no greater liberator than education. Let's, before we go any further, let's have a nice round of applause for the Norview High School varsity singers <laughs> under the leadership of Danielle Roby and her accompanist, Mr. Paul Zimmerman. Today, here in Norfolk and across the nation, we gather to celebrate and remember the life and the legacy of America's, one of America's great sons, Dr. Martin Luther King. We honor Dr. King on this special day for his courage, for his total commitment to justice and equality, and for his message of hope. Dr. King told us there would come a day when people of every race and faith would come together 
and a colorblind, unified America. And just as important, he inspired us to strive and achieve that vision. Thinking about Dr. King and his life while we were marching, we were all reminded of the power and the clarity of his vision. It was a vision grounded by his faith in the triumph of righteousness and justice, faith in our country's founding principles, and faith in the ultimate goodness of his fellow Americans. A celebration of Dr. King's life reminds us of the most turbulent days of the Civil Rights Movement and the powerful forces it was fighting, of the shackles on human rights, of the repercussions and achievements felt generations later. We are moved by the power of Dr. King's sweeping vision for what America can be. We are inspired by his calling on us to rise above ourselves to achieve the full promise of our nation's founding. And nearly 50 years later, we continue to follow his dream in pursuit of a more perfect union. Few have had such an impact upon America and its people as Dr. King, who reminded us that people, as we just heard, should not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. His, his devotion to helping others reflected the true spirit of service and citizenship, and his example continues to motivate individuals to serve causes greater than themselves. Dr. King once said that he did not want to be remembered for his Nobel Peace Prize. Rather, he wanted to be remembered as a, quote, a drum major in the March for the American Dream. Today, we recommit ourselves to march in that band, to help our children realize there is more hope in the world than hate, more opportunity than oppression, and more love than loss. And for, and for our days to come, let us remember and celebrate a great leader, a great visionary, and a great man who changed the world, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Thank you. Thank you. It is It is my pleasure to introduce our Superintendent of Public Schools, Dr. Rick Bentley. Dr. Bentley was appointed last August to lead our school system. He comes to us from El Paso, Texas with 30 years of public education experience. We are pleased to have him on the program today. So please join me in welcoming him, Dr. Bentley. Please. I wish you could see what I see. I wish you could see what I see. I see people that are committed. I see people that are here together to share in a dream. You know, today we come together to remember some important ideals that Dr. King espoused. We come together to share those ideals. We come together to get re-inspired. And I defy any American to hear that speech and not get inspired, the one we just heard. I can't imagine. I can't imagine any American hearing that speech and not coming away with a sense of recommitment. Despite that, we have challenges. We have challenges in our schools. We have challenges with children dropping out, with children not attending with children not being present. And our next generation, Norfolk's next generation, deserves our best to ensure that they graduate. So if you're a parent, a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, and you have a young person that you're watching and you're working with and you're helping them to become what I like to call a great adult, Join with me in a commitment to making sure that they're at school every day. Join with me. Join with me in a commitment to ask, how was your day at school? What did you learn today? And I know they're going to say, eh. And they're going to grumble. But you know what? They're going to hear you. They're going to hear you. And it's perseverance, it is stick-to-itiveness, 
You've got to stick with it. This next generation is depending upon us to do our jobs well. The better we do it, the better off they will be. And they'll have challenges. They'll have challenges too. This city has challenges and I want to thank the mayor and the city council. They do a great job of ensuring that we overcome and work to overcome our challenges. The next generation is going to have challenges also. We have an opportunity to make ensure that they are well prepared. So I'm going to ask you one question as I close here. I'm going to make one question and I'm going to ask this of you. And here's the question. Do you believe? Yes. Well, that was weak. I don't believe you believe. I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe? Yes. That's better. All right. Keep after it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Bentley. Uh, I'd now like to call on the newest member of the City Council, Angela Williams, who will introduce our keynote speaker. Angela. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You all look so beautiful today. It is my pleasure to be here with you, and on behalf of our mayor and city council, I would like to thank all of you for coming out today and sharing this day with us together. Today we are honored to have the Reverend Dr. Kirk T. Houston as our keynote. <laughs> I think you've got a couple of fans. <laughs> as our keynote speaker for our Martin Luther King Jr. observance. Dr. Houston is the founder and senior pastor of Gethsemane Community Fellowship Baptist Church here in Norfolk, Virginia. His servant style of leadership has led to what, is what was a starting membership of 35 faithful believers to emerge into a congregation of thousands and into what has become one of the fastest growing ministries in Hampton Roads. <laughs> Dr. Houston's credentials include an earned doctorate from the United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, as well as a Master of Divinity from the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University in Richmond, Virginia. He has done extensive research and work in jail ministry and presently serves as the chairman of the Norfolk Jail Ministries Board of Directors as well as the, cha the chaplain of the Norfolk Sheriff's Office. Dr. Houston also serves as director of Norfolk State University's Baptist Student Union. Recognizing his leadership, not only in ministry, but within the community, the Norfolk City Council appointed Dr. Houston to the Norfolk Public School Board in 2009. Last July, he was elected the board's chairman. Dr. Houston is known as a preacher's preacher, able to exegete the scripture and translate it into practical application. He is a distinguished lecturer and published author. He is also a father, husband, and grandfather. Ladies and gentlemen, please join with me in welcoming the Reverend Dr. Kirk T. Houston, Sr. God bless you all, and thank you for making me feel so warm and welcome this morning. This is a, this is a great day that uh, we celebrate the life and the legacy and the contributions to our world and this great society in America uh, in ways that it is, that is difficult for us to express in words that I have a dream speech that we listened and watched. Uh, that excerpt has the same moving impact that it did in 1963 when it was offered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. 
I'm honored today, uh, Mayor Frame and Vice Mayor Burford, other members of council and uh, friends of Norfolk, I'm honored today to have this opportunity to stand and to say a word or two uh, in tribute to Dr. King and about education and what it means to us uh, and what it meant to him as a man. The White House's uh, resolution for today's celebration really kind of frames today's uh, gathering that calls us together. And I quote from a portion of it where they write, half a century ago, America was moved by a young preacher who called a generation to action and forever changed the course of history. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. devoted his life to the struggle for justice and equality, sowing seeds of hope for a day when all people might claim the riches of freedom and the security of justice. On Martin Luther King Jr. federal holiday, we commemorate the 25th anniversary of the holiday recognizing one of America's greatest visionary leaders, and we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King. Dr. King guided us toward a mountaintop on which all Americans, regardless of skin color, could live together in mutual respect and brotherhood. His bold leadership and prophetic eloquence united people of all backgrounds in a noble quest for freedom and basic civil rights. Inspired by Dr. King's legacy, brave souls have marched fearlessly, organized relentlessly, and devoted their lives to the unending task of perfecting our union. Their courage and dedication have carried us even closer to the promised land Dr. King envisioned, but we must recognize their achievements as milestones on the long path to true equal opportunity and equal rights. I'm in agreement, Mayor Frame, with you when you declared this morning that uh, education is certainly one of the greatest liberating forces and instruments that we have in our lives. And I can't think of a more I can't think of a more fitting theme for today's celebration. And I want to take just a few minutes, and, uh, uh, and I promise you this won't take me any more than three hours. <laughs> we were at the Crossroads Elementary the other day for the groundbreaking for the new school there, and uh, Mayor Frame commented after my comments that it was the uh, briefest uh, comments he had ever heard me make. So today I'm going to make up for that day. <laughs> but I want to offer just a few words about not only the importance of education, but I want to talk a little bit about our responsibility in providing education for our children in this city and beyond. There are a lot of things we enjoy talking about the need and necessity of. There are a lot of things we demand that we want in our lives and in our communities for our families and for our children and for our neighbors and for society at large. But uh, too many times we refuse to or neglect to own up to our responsibility. And there is a collective responsibility in making all of these things happen. When you think of Dr. King's life and his legacy, the change that he brought about, the impact that he had on society was because of his personal commitment as long as, 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 as well as many who marched with him and worked alongside of him. It was a collective effort that brought about change and progress and improvement in our society. And the comments that I want to offer for just a few minutes this morning is a challenge and a charge to all of us to get involved in the work of education and, in, and to claim and accept the responsibility that we all share in our role of educating our children. If we are going to continue to realize the dream of Dr. King as it relates to education, may I first suggest to us that we must prioritize education. When we reflect on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, we see the evidence of how important and how valuable education was to him. His family members and his classmates often spoke of his keen intellectual insight 
and his thirst for knowledge. Even as a young child, his parents could see the potential in his inquisitive nature and his precocious mind. Graduating from high school at the age of 15 years old and going on to pursue and receive post-secondary education at Morehouse College in Atlanta and then Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania and then on to earn a PhD from Boston University. One could easily argue that he was just an extraordinarily gifted individual and that he was, but he was not born with the knowledge of Greek philosophy, systematic theology, and the principles of nonviolent protest for human rights. And although he was naturally gifted by God, at some point and time in his life, his parents and his grandparents, his community members reinforced the importance of intellectual and moral development, so much so that later on in his life, he would say that education should equip us with the power to think effectively and objectively. Education should cause us to rise above the horizons of legions of half-truths, prejudices, and propaganda. Education should enable us to weigh and to consider, to discern the true from the false, the relevant from the irrelevant, and the real from the unreal. As responsible members and leaders of our families and communities, we must make the development of the hearts and minds of our children, which are our most important resources, a priority. We must start before they exit the world of the womb, preparing them for opportunities that will accommodate and facilitate the development of their lives into maximum potential. It has been said that youth is that phase of life where dreams are built, where hopes are kindled, and a bright future is foreseen. Those are the years to understand yourself. Those are the years to construct your value system and begin an all-new journey and path to what is right and what is noble. Education serves as the means to bring about the desired change in society to develop a generation of virtuous individuals and thus contribute to the development of good human beings, or as Dr. Bentley enjoys saying, as good adults. Sarah Lightfoot would say, there must be a profound recognition that parents are the first teachers and that education begins before the formal schooling and is deeply rooted in the values, traditions, and norms of a family culture. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said the great object of education should be commensurate with the object of life. It should be a moral one to teach self-trust, to inspire the youthful man with an interest in himself, with a curiosity touching his own nature, to acquaint him with the resources of his mind, and to teach him that there is all in his strength, and to inflame him with a piety toward the grand mind in which he lives. Thus would education conspire with divine providence. In other words, there ought to be a divine conspiracy between God and human beings, deep, digging deep within the confines of the wealth of talents, capacity, ability, gifts, and talents that he has given to us and make as a priority the development of the diamonds that lay within each of us to, to cause them to shine and glisten and find their maximum potential in the world around us. We must make education a priority. It must be important not only to the leadership of the community, but it must be important to every parent, to every grandparent, to every guardian, to every aunt or uncle, to every teacher or principal, and to every individual that's seated before me. We must make education a priority. But not only must we prioritize education, but we must also provide education. If education is truly a priority in our community and in our city, and I believe it is, we must provide it with quality, excellence, and equity. And I want to emphasize 
I want to emphasize we, we parents, we faith-based organizations, we communities and community leaders, we Norfolk Public Schools, all of us must work together to provide education for our children. It is a must. It is essential. It is vital. It is important. It is urgent. It is indispensable. We must provide, and I want to emphasize, quality education. The United Nations Children's Fund uh, defines and describes quality education uh, as education that meets the needs of all of our children. Learners who are healthy, well-nourished, and ready to participate and learn, supported in learning by their families and communities. Quality education. Environments that are healthy, safe, protective, gender-sensitive, and provide adequate resources and facilities. Quality education that provides content that is reflected in relevant curricula and materials for the acquisition of basic skills, especially in the areas of literacy, health, and nutrition. Quality education, processes through which trained teachers use child-centered teaching approaches in well-managed classrooms and schools and skillful assessment to facilitate learning and reduce disparities. Quality education, outcomes that encompass knowledge skills, attitudes, and are linked to national goals for education and positive participation in society. And it is quality education for everybody. And I want to emphasize everybody, everybody has the right to learn. Everybody has the ability to learn. Everybody ought to be afforded the opportunity and equal opportunity, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their ethnic or race, ethnic group or race, ethnicity or race, regardless of what side of town we're from, regardless of whether we are from families that care and share or families that are negligent and derelict. Everybody has the right to learn the ability to learn, the capacity to learn. We are all born in the, in the image of the, the Imago Dei, the Hebrews called it. And so we all have a measure of the divine in us. And I'm telling you today that there is no child in Norfolk, the state of Virginia, or the United States of America that cannot learn if afforded an opportunity to learn. We have to provide it. It's not always easy, but it's possible. I'll say this, and I promise you I won't close three times. But I, I wasn't born into riches or wealth. I was born into a poor family, born in Fort Myers, Florida. But I had a a caring mother who loved my brother and I, and she was a single mother, and she started early on in life, and our home was our classroom. Playing Scrabble and Monopoly was mandatory. She didn't wait until we left to go to school to start teaching us. We had grandparents, a grandfather who was a Baptist preacher, pastor for some 32 years, and a grandmother with a third grade education who is still the most dignified woman I've ever met in my life. And they took time with my brother and I. And they taught us, and they loved us, and they encouraged us, and they inspired us, and they motivated us. And they told us how smart we were, how intelligent we were. They told us how easy it would be for us to succeed if we would behave and pay attention and do our work and do what was required of us. And they did something with us in our home before we went to school that prepared us. And I'm telling you, parents and grandparents, it starts at home. 
That's where it starts. I'm going to move on before I get stirred up. But I need to reemphasize and reiterate that we have to provide it for everybody. I can't say that enough. Everybody, every child. I said every child. We have to provide education. But not only must we prioritize it and provide it, but thirdly and finally, you may not like this, but we have to pay for it. We have to pay for it. We've all heard and used the familiar cliches regarding the requirements of payment. We've all said it. My mother taught me you have to pay to live in this world. Nothing is free. We've all said it. Anything worth having is worth paying for. We've all heard it. Pay me now or pay me later, but you will pay. The same can be said about education. You have to pay to get an education. The same can be said about education. Anything worth having is worth paying for. The same can be said about education, you get what you paid for. And in this city, in this state, in this country, we must pay for education. We have to pay for early childhood education that prepares our children when they're young with the basic literacy foundation that is so critical to educational success. We must pay for the programs that will enable our special needs children to realize their highest potential. We must pay for opportunities for gifted and talented students to explore multiple opportunities for optimum success. We must pay fair wages and competitive salaries for our teachers who we rely on to teach and prepare our students for the future. We must pay for cutting-edge technology, state-of-the-art facilities, and educational buildings that represent the quality and the value of the students who learn and grow in them. It's real simple, and I'm almost through. I said it's real simple. Pay me now or pay me later. If we don't pay for education now, we will pay for escalating crime rates. If we don't pay for education now, we'll pay for building more jails, more prisons, and more detention facilities. If we don't pay for education now, we'll pay for more impoverished communities. We'll pay for social and moral doom and disaster. Pay me now, oh, but we will pay. But here's the good news. If we pay now, then we can continue to develop bright and brilliant students. Students like those from Booker T. Washington High School, valedictorian, Marcellus Muriel, who accepted last year a scholarship to Hampton University. Students like Christina Speller, who was among the top students of her class and attending William and Mary this year, if we pay now. We can continue to develop students like Granby High School graduates. Joseph Brown, attending Old Dominion University. Adam Pivarotto, among the 10 top graduates at Granby last year who won a prestigious spot in the first international class of New York University. If we pay now, we can continue to groom students like those from Lake Taylor High School, Alicia Edwards, 
among the top 10 students from Lake Taylor last year, now attending the University of Virginia. Latrika Jones, among the top 10 graduates, now attending Virginia Westland this year. If we pay now, we can develop students from Maury High School, like Hannah Kurt, who's now at Virginia Tech University, and Artina McRae, who was a spokesperson for Norfolk Public Schools last year, and one of our great stories and representatives of good education in Norfolk. If we pay now, we can develop students like those from Norview High School. Alicia Tillman, who won the Gates Millennium Scholarship, which will give her a full ride through undergraduate and graduate school. <laughs> Students like Amanda Swain, who graduated from Norview with more than 30 credit hours of college-level coursework now at Virginia Commonwealth University. If we pay now, the sky is the limit. If we pay now, these little children that are seated, seated before us and, 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 and between us, these little children can grow into the kind of adults that Martin Luther King dreamed about. I agree with the songwriter who said, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. If we pay now, we can realize the dream. We'll have a better today and a brighter tomorrow. Let's pay now. God bless you. The ushers will start at my left for the offering. <laughs> you know, there's a time and a place for everything in, in this room and this place today. God is present. You know, I'm often reminded that when we think about Martin Luther King Jr. and, and, and understanding that time, I said to myself, I said, well, you know, I, I, I could only imagine the, 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 the presence he had, the, the inspiration he had and to galvanize a country and to, to, to have people just to follow and, 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 and lean on his every word. And, and I'm reminded that we had a, a, a small part of that to happen in this nation just not too long ago when we talk about Barack Obama. If you can recall, in 2008, when we hung on his every word, when we could get enough of TV, we turned on the TV every evening to find out where he was and what he was doing, praying for him hoping that, one, that, that this was that time and we were reminded of what Martin Luther King did for this country. And it was because of Martin Luther King and people before Martin Luther King and the bloodshed that we today have a president called Barack Obama. But I'm often reminded of this. If you can bear with me and close your eyes for just a second. and pretend that we're all little boys and little girls. And think about if Martin Luther King hadn't, and the Civil Rights Movement hadn't taken place when it did. Think about going to MacArthur Mall and having a white bathroom and a black bathroom. Or coming in this very place and the usher tell you you got to go to the top of the balcony because you can't sit down here. Or going to Outback or going to a Carabas, or going to Red Lobster, and they tell you that you got to go through the back door because you can't come through the front door. Now open your eyes. We serve an awesome God.
I want to thank you all for coming out this evening. Before I take my seat, we will have our last selection from our Norview Choir, the beautiful young people. Thank you, and God bless you as well. Right up to the walls of Jericho, Jericho. he marched with me. 